but they're all still there. <laughs> okay. You can get rid of that mic too. Praise the Lord. All right. Are you ready? Is KT ready? You don't sound very ready. Are you ready? That's a KT ready. You don't want me disappointed. All right. No, we're not talking about dinosaurs again. If you miss dinosaurs, you miss dinosaurs. I think the church uh, recorded it. And uh, we don't have a lot of time. I have a lot of things to share with you, but I suppose every pastor says that when he gets up. And I'm not a pastor, but I have a lot of things to want to share with you about evangelization. Because for me, to talk about creation evolution, to debate, to go on nationwide TV, you know, I have a few DVDs left. If you haven't already gotten one where I went on nationwide TV and did a debate with Jason Wiles, University of McGill. I also have a, another follow-up program five years later. I think I have six DVDs. If you want them, at the end, you can come see me. Um, the reason I've dedicated my life to doing that is very simple. I just want to serve God. All of us, somewhere, God has put you to, be, to have an effect on your surroundings. Sometimes we have effect on a large surrounding. Sometimes we have effect just in our own family. But God has appointed you to affect your surroundings. It is not normal for a Christian not to change their surroundings. We're not supposed to... You know, when I started my ministry, God gave me a dream. Uh, what is my ministry? Uh, I'm the president of the Creation Science Association of Quebec, which God spoke to me to start in 1990. It's a reach out uh, to, to the French community, which has almost no information on creation evolution. Today, they basically have what I have, which is 20 DVDs, and there are a few other little ministries. But when you think of uh, Quebec, where it's 0.8% Christian, that's less per capita than in Japan. France is no different. There are 600,000 evangelical Christians in France, but the population of France is over 65 million. You don't realize France is like Japan now. The Huguenots left, so the Protestants left. And so the, uh, there's a lot of work to do in the French community. They don't have the information. And uh, God uses mysteries um, to, to accomplish his will. And in this case, I'm an English-Canadian, and though I, uh, I speak French fluently, um, it's unusual for God to use an English-Canadian to reach the French people. And yet, that's what he's done. And that's how God works. But all you have to do is listen to him. So, so when I started my ministry, I, was, uh, I woke up with a dream, and I, heard, I, I really remember my dreams. And this one it was a particular dream. And I remember in it, I was sitting in a class with some uh, parents, and I was going to talk on evolution creation, and I was turning to a blackboard with chalk that still exists probably now, but not very much. But in those days, it existed. And I was writing, evolution is equal to religion. And I, a belief system. And I write it, and I turn around to speak to the class, and a train would go by, and no one could hear what I was saying. Then the scene would like replay itself, sort of like Groundhog Day, replay itself. And then I'm writing, evolution is equal to religion, and again, then a plane would go by. And this happened multiple times, and then I woke up. And I said, Lord, what, what is that? And the Lord said, you have a message on your heart that I've given you. They want to hear it, but you're going to need to take authority over the surroundings because as Christians, we're not meant to be thermometers. We're meant to be thermostats. We're meant to control the environment, not from our own strength, of course, 
through the Holy Spirit, through the name of Jesus. But we have to take control because there is a war out there. Okay? And there's a real war. And so we're going to be talking a bit about that. We're going to talk about a little bit of experiences. This is my wife, Lucy. She couldn't make it. And so she only speaks French. And my kids, I'm, a, I'm actually, it's my granddaughter. But that's a few months ago. She's now, actually, that's upside down. But anyway, you, when you take a picture like this, it looks that way. <laughs> Jael. And so I'm a grandparent, which means I'm getting over the hill somewhere. Okay. It's a blessing, though. <laughs> it's a blessing. That's the DVDs that, that's out there on the corn show. I don't have time to talk about this. But I will talk about, about this. You know, uh, there was a thief who came into the house, and he was going to steal things, of course. And he was coming in. He had a flashlight. And he heard this, uh, this voice say, Jesus is watching you. He's in the dark. He's looking around. Jesus is watching you. Looking around. Finally, he finds out who's saying, Jesus is watching you. And it's this, this parrot is saying, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> and he says to the parrot, he says, now he says to the parrot, he says, what, why are you saying that? He says, parrot, so Jesus is watching you. He said, well, what's your name? He said, my name's Moses. <laughs> okay? He said, what kind of idiot would call a parrot Moses. And the parrot answered, the same one who called his Doberman Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you. Yes. <laughs> so, with that same intensity as that thief had, we will look at things as if Jesus is watching us. <laughs> Deuteronomy 33.29 says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. Now, when they talked about high places in the Old Testament, often what they would do is they would uh, build altars at the top of mountains. Now, God also built his temple at the top of mountains. He gave the, gave the commandments at the top of mountains. So top of mountains is a place where God is supposed to be magnified. Um, and so the devil wants to take it over. So people go and build these altars, and then they have these ceremonies at the top. And when you had a good king in Israel, they would destroy these altars at the top of the mountain. They would tread down the high places. Now today we also have high places. And I believe one of these high places is uh, the university campuses. We sometimes even call them ivory tower, I don't know. But I mean, I, I have a master's and bachelor's degree. I've published in science. I've uh, been around uh, quite a few people who are uh, university people, still are, am. And I can tell you there's, a, there's an arrogance. There's, a, there's, a, there's something about, some, at some level, some of the professors at university that is conducive to allowing the enemy to use the environment as a way of influencing a generation. You see, in the Garden of Eden... There was Eve and the serpent. And if you remember, the serpent, Satan, he, he said, look at the fruit of the tree. Look, did God really say this? And then she said, oh, did God? I don't know. God said, don't touch it. Well, God said, don't eat it. And then, she said, then, he, then he said, but this, if you eat it, it's going to do something special. You're going to find out some secret things that God doesn't know. And what did he do? He painted a false picture in front of Eve. And Eve walked into the false picture, and so did Adam, and all of humanity was lost. Now, universities, they do the same thing. They paint this false picture about our origins, and then generations go to hell. As we lose 66 to 75% of all our youth in church, 
after one year of college. So these are high places. And there's a price to pay when you're at war. Paul, uh, Paul said to Timothy, This I charge, I commit to you, son Timothy, his disciple, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. So Christianity, though we like to focus on the love of God, and we should focus on the love of God and on the deliverance of God, when we're outside these walls, there's a war. And we have to realize we're in a war. Maybe you already do, but we have to, it's, it's underlined here. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. So it's very important that we establish our faith and our foundations, um, part of those five five uh, giftings that the pastor was talking about. Now here is Dr. Nancy Bryson, who was the head of the Department of Biology at the Missouri, Women's Missouri State University. And she was fired because she, after 24 years of teaching, she was fired because she gave one presentation questioning evolution. She lost her career. She lost her tenure. Okay, one. She didn't say it was wrong. She just questioned it. Dr. Jerry Bergman there on the uh, left, he has five master's degrees. He has four doctorates, but two of them were refused at the very final interview for one reason. He was a creationist. Of course, they would have, he would have appreciated if they told him that at the beginning, and it would have saved him four years' work, uh, eight years' worth of work. Even though he had a perfect 4.0 GPA, he was refused his doctorate. There's a high price. He's, he has written a book called The Slaughter of the Dissonance where he's documented more than 400 cases of people losing their career or their degrees because they've stood up and said, I'm a Christian or I'm a creationist or they question evolution. You do not question the dogma of our culture. Now, more recently, there's Dr. Mar- uh, there's not, he's not a doctor. Mar- Mark Armitage, who's a top uh, microscopist microscopy technician, he ran a 10 million, I think it's 10 million dollar university, one of the top university, uh, university laboratories in microscopy in California, California State, Cal State. He actually published, I mean, when you're in science, you publish or perish. If you publish, and he's not even a teacher, if you publish on the front page of a journal, you're a success. And this is American Laboratory in December 2012. And what he's showing here is Triceratops bone cells that are non-fossilized from a Triceratops horn that was in the States. He took it, he sliced it, they took away the calcium, and what's left are cells that are not fossilized. This is not 65 million years old. These have philopodia in, in your skeletons. You have three types of bone cells. There are osteoblasts that are building things up, osteocytes that are taking things down, and I'm sure the person transiting for the blind is having a really rough time. <laughs> Osteocytes, I don't know how you're going to do that. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll pray for you. (laughs) Um, These bone cells uh, have little philopodia, and these are like 20 micrometers thick. They're they're, they're very, very, very thin. They don't fossilize because they'd be thinner than a crystal. And so what you're seeing here is actually evidence that this dinosaur was walking just a couple of thousand years ago at most. Now, he then published more work on this, uh, in Acta Histochemica in January 2013. So this year, soft sheets of fibrillar bone of, from a fossil of superorbital horn of, a, of the dinosaur Triceratops horridus. Great. Three weeks later, he was fired. Lost his job. He's gone to court. He was fired because of one teacher. 
One teacher. Now think about that for a second. One teacher, and there are many teachers there who approve of his work. One teacher get him fired. Well, you know, the reverse is true. One Christian that stands up can make all the difference. When my daughter was at uh, high school, the history teacher decided to explain to everybody how Jesus' miracles were not true, how they were fake. It's not in the textbook. So when I found out about this, first of all, at the beginning of the year, they had a vote, and they voted me president of the Parents' Council. I didn't, I just said, okay, God put me there. That was convenient. And so, but you got to be there to do it. <laughs> and so, I, uh, I, I, on Parent Teacher's Day, um, I asked, I came to that professor, and I said, so you are a great theologian. And she said, what do you mean? Well, I hear you, you, you know a lot about the Bible. She said, what do you mean? Well, I hear you can explain how Jesus' miracles are not true. She said, I never said that. My daughter is sitting there, standing there beside me. I said, yes, you did. And he said, let me explain to you something. He said, first of all, you would have never done that concerning Muhammad. Because you would have risked your life. Secondly, in Canada, we have a constitution that protects our religious beliefs, our rights. Some of that's bad, but in this case, it's good. And I told her, the rights of my child in a secular system to believe what she believes is part of the Canadian Constitution. You will never say anything about Jesus' miracles in your course in history for the rest of this year. And she backed right off. We need to stand up. We need to know our rights, and we need to do something about it and not be scared. Because we're in a war. I call this unfossilized bone cells and triceratops horn, or a method by which to quickly lose your job and career at Cal State University. <laughs> sort of sad, though. Okay, fight the good fight. This is 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. In other words, you've got a good witness. Of course, come on, Canada. Okay. <laughs> now, interesting verse. 1 Corinthians one twenty-three says this. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now you would recognize that stumbling block is not the same thing as foolishness. Right? Those are two different words. Those are not the same words. So stumbling block and foolishness. So we're going to look at why is Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Greeks but foolishness to the, uh, uh, foolishness to the Greeks a stumbling block to the Jews. So let's look at who preached to the Jews. Well, let's look at Peter. You remember in 2nd Acts, Pentecost arrived. They were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came down. Fire, shaking. Peter gets up and preaches. And he gets up with the eleven, raised his voice, and said unto them, Men of Judea, this is in Acts 2, 14, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known unto you, and heed my words. Listen to my words. For these, are not, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. As you can see, it was a very orderly event. Not. <laughs> Since it is the, only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter is going to explain what God is doing, starting with what book? Joel. Joel. Okay, let's read what he says. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, maiden servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
This sounds like evangelism, doesn't it? Now he's evangelizing, starting with the book of Joel. All right, let's keep going. And, is this and then he, if we skip a few verses and get down to Acts 41, 42, where it says, whom God, and then he gets to Spain, whom God raised up, he's talking about Jesus, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Jesus was victorious over death, over the last enemy, death having come into the system in the Garden of Eden. And with many other words, so he kept preaching, we don't know what he said, and he, he exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. There was just a baptism service earlier on. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. First of all, do a bit of math. There are 11 of them. They've got 3,000 people to baptize. I can guarantee these people weren't giving their testimony. This is like a person every 18 seconds. And then Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Next? I, don't know what <laughs> I mean, they got 3,000. You got 11. They, they would have been doing that for like 10 hours. And uh, just all through the day. Now, that's pretty good for his first sermon. He does his first sermon, and 3,000 people accept the Lord. That's excellent. He stops in the book of Joel. You know, he comes to the board meeting afterwards. How did it go, Peter? Well, it was sort of good for a first sermon. 3,000 people accepted the Lord. That's a good beginning. All right. Now, that's the Jews. Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. But you remember that the verse says that unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. Now, do you remember who preached to the Greeks in the Bible? Anybody? Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's like two-thirds of our testament is messages to non-Jews. So, well, where did he preach? Well, we know one in particular in Acts 17, 14, 17, where 17, and what I'm going to focus on, is when he spoke in Athens, in Greece. And let's read what happened there. For all Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. This is in Acts 17. That's interesting. If you read that carefully, he says, all the foreigners who were there spent all their time, right, in doing nothing else but to telling and hearing some new thing. Now, what do people do today? All their time, they are on the internet or on their phone trying to find out something that someone else doesn't know, which is getting pretty rough because the internet's like everybody can see it. And the only reason you want something to tell someone that they didn't know that has nothing to do with your life is because you don't want to talk about anything personal. So you keep everything at a really, really high level. Let's talk about the really smartest dog in the world that's on YouTube. Mm, very personal. You understand what I mean? In other words, our whole society is very surface. We talk about social networks, <laughs> the funny part is, when they're one-on-one, -on -one, they're surface, but when they're on Facebook, they're way too personal. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, which is a big auditorium, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. You believe. And for, as I was passing through your city and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now this is interesting, because... We want to, I presume everybody here wants to reach, their, reach your generation. You all want to, I mean, it's part of the Christian ethic, it's part of what Jesus commanded us to do, to go proclaim the good news. Become a disciple, and then use that information to proclaim the good news. So, Paul does something that we all need to do and that many Christians don't do, and this is the first point I want to bring up here. Paul uses the objects of their culture. Right? He doesn't try to bring them into the Jewish culture. 
He doesn't try to make them conform to the Jewish way of thinking or seeing. He starts right away and looking around, what do they believe? What, what are they already involved in? Well, how can I relate to what they're doing? See, I relate to people through science because our culture is scientific. And it's an easy, easy way to talk to people when you talk about science. That's the same thing I'm doing. You know, there's a story about this missionary that was on this island in the, in the, in the east. And he was with this tribe, and they were around a fire, and he'd had good success, and he was getting them up to the salvation message. Everybody was listening around the fire, and he was telling this story about Jesus. And he said, Jesus will wash your sins as white as snow. And they all got up and left. And he was sitting there all alone at the fire. Next morning, he went and saw the chief, and he said, Chief, what happened? What, what happened? Well, chief said, we're not so interested anymore in your Jesus. He said, why? Well, he said, when we're as white as snow, it's because the volcano has gone off and we're in big trouble. So it's important that we speak the same language. And too many times I see Christians talking to non-Christians using Christianese. You're going to have to get some definitions because your version of sin isn't theirs. Your version of God isn't theirs. So you're going to have to find out where they are first. If you just go and start pronouncing the word, they're not going to receive it because they're not hearing the same words that you're saying. So Paul goes and looks at what they have. Here you have an unknown God. I'm going to show you who the unknown God is. That's my platform. And he starts here. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. Oh, did, Peter, did Paul go back to the book of Joel? No. Where did he go? What book did he go back to in the Bible? Genesis. Genesis. The very first verse in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because that gave him a platform to say, uh, based on this absolute truth, what I'm telling you is truth. God is creator, and I'm going to build that message based on truth. He can't start from Joel. They're Greeks. Does that make sense? He says, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he's the boss. So he goes and he says, though he is not far from each one of us, so he's a personal God. So he starts redefining the gods because they have a really messed up idea in Greek mythology of who God is. Those gods are all demigods. They're messed up. They got family problems that you can't believe. And so he has to redefine what God means to the Greeks. And so he, this is what he's doing. He says, he's not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Also, and then look at this. He says, also, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So he goes into their culture and gets something that he can relate to the fact that we're made in the image of God. This is vital to reaching our generation. It's one of the things the church has often missed out on. Truly, these times of ignorance, God has overlooked. It's okay, guys. You didn't know about it. God's going to overlook it. His grace is great. But now, now, he commands all men everywhere to repent. Is repentance part of evangelization? Yeah, of course. All evangelization leads to repentance. Whoops. What happened there? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, which is Jesus. Okay? That wasn't a tough question. 
I'll repeat it again. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Who is? Yes. <laughs> he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, and that's why they brought him in, because he said, wow, that's... Now, so he does this sermon. Of course, we cut it down. Let's see the result. Does anybody here think Paul is not a good a, a preacher as Peter? Anybody? No, they're, they're both excellent, top-notch preachers. Okay, so this is what happened. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, they laughed at them, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Come back, we want to hear more. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed, and among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, so a professional philosopher, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So he gets five to ten people. Paul. Two-thirds of our testament. He gets ten people. Peter gets how many? Three thousand. But Paul has to go back to Genesis. So he has a much longer job. He has a much bigger job than Peter has. He, Peter didn't have to convince them that they had a creator God, that they were made in the image of God, and they'd fallen from that image, and they sinned. They all had the same definition. But Paul has to go back to Genesis. And I tell you, in our generation, we have to go back to Genesis and build. And it takes time. In Quebec, they estimate that for anybody to come to the Lord, they have been evangelized eight to nine times. It's not going to happen the first time. It's a paradigm shift. They have to change their worldview. And we have to help them in love. Okay. So if we go to our generation and we say, repent, people are just going to laugh at you. You know, street preaching, I'm not sure it's getting much results. I have a lot of admiration for people who street preach. A lot of admiration. There's a creationist up in, I don't know, Liverpool or Manchester. He has a doctorate degree, he's a university professor, and he street preaches. More power to him. But our generation, needs to, we need to redefine the words that we're saying because they don't understand what we're saying anymore. And that's what we're going to talk about. So if we go back from the beginning... Then things change. So do I even start talking about God as creator? Because Hebrews 11.6 says, you can't come to God unless you believe that God is. That's the beginning point. Otherwise, what are you getting saved for, from? I feel bad today. Oh, then you're guilty. You need to get saved. But then they stop feeling bad. Have they lost their salvation? You know what I mean? It's too, it's, it's too high level. We need to get down to understanding our faith and though people can get saved that way and do get saved that way, uh, often they fall away from the church. I was in a church in Montreal, one of the largest churches in Quebec, for many years. They had about 1,400 members. About 400 people would accept the Lord every year because the pastor was an evangelist with the gifts of signs and wonders. 400 people would accept the year, a year. So you'd think that in a couple of years that church is going to be 2,000, 4,000, 6,000. No. For 10 years it stayed 1,400 people. So 4,000 were coming in, 400 were coming in, and 400 were leaving. It stayed 1,400 people. Well, what's wrong? Partly is because we need, to, we need to go build our foundation of understanding our faith. That's why your pastor so graciously allowed me to come. He understands the importance of this, which most churches don't, or many churches don't, I shouldn't say most, uh, of, of having to go back to Genesis and build a strong foundation 
to know the reason of the hope that is in us. Otherwise, when you start talking to people about your faith, you become very emotional. If you become very emotional in any type of argument, it's because you don't have a foundation. If someone comes to me and tells me elephants are pink and they fly over the moon, I'm not going to get emotional. Would any of you? No. That's why, you know, when you see people talk about eschatology, this is for church people, you know, talking about future things that are coming, they get really emotional. That's because they really don't know what's going to happen. We only know afterwards. We know a bit, but you know, it's just like a glimmer. God likes it that way. Now, the Bible is the basis of our thinking in every area. And so, I've shown this a couple of times during the weekend, but not everybody was here during the weekend. So, where we come from defines where we're going. Our, our destiny is directly related to our origin. So this becomes vitally important in the, in the question of Genesis being the basis or is the Big Bang the basis? Are we just an evolved animal? Right? A few, if you go on internet and you look up Russia TV and put my name in, you'll see I did a debate on Russia TV with an, not in English, on a, with an atheist and an agnostic. And the atheist was saying that atheism isn't a religion. And I said, what do you mean atheism isn't a religion? All religions define the answers to three questions. Where we come from, why we're here, and where we're going. Atheism answers the question this way. We don't come from anywhere in particular, we're not here for any particular reason, and we're not going anywhere. It answers those three questions that way. I prefer to, to look at the answers of the question that we are created with a reason for being. God wants us to discover that plan, and he wants us to live for eternity with him in heaven. But that's not there. So you have all kinds of problems with the ape being the past because then who sets the rules? If I set the rules, why would you have to follow them? If you set the rules, why do I have to follow them? You see, we've all become God if we set our own rules. And then you have an issue. You have anarchy. There is no one who's going to decide except that you get a dictator and he'll force his rules or you'll get, you know, if you, court of laws don't mean anything anymore. You win based on who's got the, be, the best lawyer, not on whether it's true or false. Right? So, animals, being an animal is, is a real issue. And, but if we're made in the image of God, then God sets the, sets the rules. God sets the absolutes. He's outside the system. He has the right to. That is why in the Bible, the Ten Commandments were written by the hand of God both times. It had to be God. It wasn't the Ten Opinions of Moses. It had to be God writing the Ten Commandments. And, that, and God has the right to set the rules, this is right and this is wrong. Now, many of us, most people on earth, follow the same right and wrong rules, approximately. Why? Because God has written it in our hearts. So they know what is right or wrong, but they have no reason for knowing what's right or wrong. They don't have any logical reason for why do we know it's wrong? Why do we, what's wrong? You know, I love it when evolutionists say, well, you shouldn't lie, because they say I'm a creationist, so they say, oh, but you're lying. Uh, but you're an evolutionist. Lying has nothing to do with it. It's just survival of the fittest. You can lie, you can cheat, you can do whatever makes you survive better. What would it matter to an evolutionist if you're lying? And they're all upset because they have the same code written on their heart by the Creator. And it speaks to them. So we have God's word, man's opinion. God says he created us. Man says you're just a cosmic happenstance and have no reason for being. Laws are from the lawgiver. There is no lawgiver here. You create your own. It's lawlessness. Here you have marriage. There you have any type of behavior you want. 
Marriage comes from God's word. I never understood why homosexuals want to get married. It's not in their ethics. It's not, there, there's no particular reason for it. If God had the same vision, I mean, he would have made Adam and Steve, and he didn't. Then you have standards, pornography or all kinds of things. Then you have meaning of life, abortion. I'd love to talk more about this because abortion actually comes from a fraud from 1937 that was, it was justified on that, where they said that uh, embryos, from b before 1937, but where uh, embryos were supposed to resemble um, different types of animals in the progression of evolution, and therefore you could kill it until it's sort of resembling a human. But we're at 2013. I have a master's in genetics. Anybody who's in genetics knows that that very first cell that's fertilized is 100% human. It's as much human as you are. You're just more of the same cell. Okay, don't shut me down. Uh, so you get the evolutionary termites, <laughs> and they start destroying the bottom, and things start falling apart, don't they? This is the problem, right? You have creation, God's word is truth, and you have the castle of our, our belief system and Christians that are asleep and Christians that are shooting nowhere, Christians that are shooting one another. It's not so good. And then you have a bunch of them are destroying this and they're trying to say that you can be an evolutionist and a Christian at the same time and you can your Bible and evolution go together. They don't. Not, the, not micro, microbes to man or, or hydrogen to human. That's not in the Bible. And it destroys the foundation. These people, their foundation is evolution. I've never met an atheist who was not an evolutionist. If you can find one, go ahead. But I've never met one. Because it gives them the justification for their belief system. And so they have all these balloons that go up. They can put up as many as they want. And we shoot them down as we can. But they can keep putting up more balloons. But let me tell you a secret. If you get rid of the foundation, you don't have to go after those balloons. You can, but it, it, it just makes the job a lot easier. People come to me, you know, uh, this week, uh, I think Friday night, I gave a talk on Prove That God Exists. What I found in my experience, even though in Quebec it's 0.8% Christian, I found that when people ask me, prove that God exists, what they're really asking me is, prove that God knows I exist. They have a heart. They know. There's like this, as Pascal said, there's like this place in our heart that's empty until God is there. And, that, and, and so there's a cry out to know God. And Christians, they, 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 they either talk the wrong language, they don't present it properly, and a lot of them are powerless. And I'll get to that in a moment. Because, and, it, and this will be a little bit hard. I'm going I'm to stretch you a little bit, I hope. Push you to go beyond your comfort. You see, if you always work within your possibilities, you're never going to walk in the impossibilities of God. You've got to go beyond what you're able to do. It's when you're weak that he's strong. It's when you're not able that he's going to come, you're going to get a breakthrough. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have to walk all the time out of the boat. You understand? But we have to have times in our life where we're walking beyond. Otherwise, we're just turning in a circle and we're not going to go anywhere. And we won't bring our generation to Christ. Second Timothy 4, 3 to 4 says, And the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they will heap themselves, teachers having itching ears, not eczema, it means they want to hear what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and the truth will be turned into fables. What's a fable? A fable is like a frog that becomes a prince. In evolution, a frog becomes a prince in 150 million years. The god of evolution is time. Anything that can't happen, which is most of it, 
you add time. A million years here, a hundred million years here, a billion years, and things become possible. Really? Since when did time help anything? I don't know if you notice, but over time, you get older. And when you get older, well, at least when you're over 30, when you get older, you start breaking down. It's a slow process, but it's a, it goes in one direction. Total, di- total disorder. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. It's a, except for Jesus, you resurrect from the dead. But otherwise, you're going one direction. I don't want to be depressive, but that's why uh, pharmacy companies make a lot of money with women and their creams because they don't want to, they want to hide this. They want to keep backing up. But you know, there was a... <laughs> Eve's pharmacy was the tree of life, but it's, we're not allowed to get there anymore. So... <laughs> We've got to pay a lot of money. Now, men, we've just learned to live with it, and we just look great old. But um, <laughs> Okay, I'm only joking. Uh, God is the creator of the universe, is replaced by man, and the ultimate result of time and chance. So, where do we come from for the evolutionists and their evolutionary tree, whatever way you want to represent it? You come from the ancestor of Bobo. And... At least that's what they say in the, in the uh, news. But in reality, if you're a real evolutionist, if you're real, we come from the protista. Now, where the protista comes from, they don't like to touch that. And when I do a debate, and I've done 18 debates, um, I really like to talk about the origin of life. Because if you can't get the trunk of the tree, why am I talking about the branches? If you can't get the first cell, why do I care about the rest? Your model's wrong. Now, I'm not saying we don't believe in adaptation. We all believe in adaptation. There are lots of different kinds of dogs, foxes, wolves. They all come from a wolf. We, but they're all, just like the Bible says, they reproduce within their kind. There's a limit. So what they're doing is saying, forget the reproduce after their kind. You get everything from this. So if you're going to start doing scrapbooking for your family history, right, the first page should be protista. And you could like, we could have a moment of silence in honor of our ancestor. What? Protista. <sighs> Fables. Now let's look at nature though. God has put his signature on nature. You see, Job says this, Now ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the air and they will tell you and speak it to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. Let's look at the bees. Bees, you get rid of the bees, 60% of your food disappears right away. Okay? They have a symbiotic relationship. The flowers need the bees. By the way, for those of you who want to play around with the six days of Genesis, plants are on day three, bees are on day five. If there's a thousand-year day, there's a real big issue because plants don't stick around thousands of years waiting for bees to show up. So let's forget this. It's either a week or it isn't, and the Bible is wrong. But none of this in-between stuff. Now, bees go out and get pollen. The advantage for the, the plant is that it picks up the pollen and moves it to other plants and so fertilizes the plants. But, think of this for a minute. How does the bee know where and how many bees to go anywhere? I mean, pretend you've got scout bees, so they go out, and you've got one clover leaf in a field. If they send all 5,000 bees for the one clover leaf, there is going to be an issue. They won't make it back. There's not enough energy. So how do bees know to send only three bees to the clover leaf? And they do that. 
And when there's a big field, how do they know to send thousands? How, how do they know what direction to go? How? Okay, well, let's look at the how. So what they do is the scout bee actually takes pictures. Its little tiny brain takes pictures and memorizes the distance they go. And then it, then it comes back and it does a dance. And so this is the hive. And what it does is it does an eight. So it goes up, around, like this. It's like a figure eight. The bees that watch this ant count the number of revolutions per second. If it does three revolutions per second, it means it's like a kilometer away. If it does 10 revolutions per second, it means it's just like uh, 200 meters away. And they sit there, and they have to time this, because it goes like every 50... As you know, all bees have watches, uh, cycle watches, with crystals in them, to know, to count, and they have to keep their eye, one eye on the watch and one eye on the bee that's running around in eights and counting the... No? And yet, that's exactly what they do. They count the number, and they know... Now, the bee does the dance on an angle, and that angle is according to the direction of the sun. And as the sun changes, the bee changes its direction and dance. Now, the number of turns it does also takes into account the headwind or tailwind. So, in other words, it may only be a kilometer, but for the bee, it may feel like two kilometers because there's a headwind. It'll represent two kilometers. Finally, to know how many bees to send, it does a dance. And it, it wiggles. It goes like this up here. And the faster that dance is, the more bee goes. Now, how can anybody believe that this came around by chance? It does trigonometry. It does basic mathematics. It has coordinated movements. And it's communicating with other bees. That have, and those bees have the capacity to understand the language. I do not have enough faith to be an evolutionist. To believe that that came around by chance means you have, you, you, you've excluded coherence and rationality somewhere along the way. Take a little bit of the mountains. This is in Switzerland. Look at how this mountain is folded. Whoops, sorry. It's folded one over the other. It's a, it's the mountain, whole mountain is folded 180 degrees. This didn't happen slowly. It's full of fossils. If it happened slowly, there would have been cracks and all the fossils would be burned out, but that didn't happen. That means that this strata is exactly the same age as that strata. So much for millions of years. Here we have two different types of interbedding of the red wall with the underlayer here, and, but this is hundreds of millions of years older. But how come it interbeds? Must be the same age. And the question we're going to ask is, where's, what I call, where's the countryside? How come all the strata are flat? Even if they're bent. But you understand that the intersection between these rock strata, they're all flat. There's no erosion. Um, here's in Kentucky. You can see this along the side of a road. And if we follow those lines, see here? There's like the, the strata lines are like this. Where's the erosion? How can this happen for hundreds of years, or sorry, tens of thousands of years between this layer, this strata, this strata? Where's the rivers? Where's the valleys? Where's the erosion? And worldwide, strata show no time between them. That shows a watery, worldwide flood event. 
It shows nothing to do with what we're being told, that stuff can accumulate really, really, sediment can accumulate slowly over millions of years and that the Grand Canyon would be two billion years old. Huh? The Grand Canyon is two billion years old? All the strata are perfectly flat. You can't put a paper between them. There's no countryside. It isn't two billion years old. And this is what I was going to show. I'll just jump ahead a little bit. See, they're, even in the Grand Canyon, they only have three different layers of fossils, and, but they aren't, there's, there's 150 million years missing. See, the Carbonifer, Carboniferous here in Cambrian is supposed to be, this is 600, uh, this is 300 million years old, and this is, could be between 600 to 450, but there's 150 million years missing. And it's, there's nothing, it's not there. It's totally flat. There's no erosion. How do you go for 150 million years and not leave any evidence? And it's like that all over the world. How do you keep a model going that's missing that much data? Where's the countryside? Same thing when we're looking here. We have all the strata are completely flat. It's like that everywhere. You'll notice it. It's driving. That would mean like the dinosaurs are going to be like this. In 100 million years, our descendants will see magnificent valleys and waterfalls in the mountains because dinosaurs saw everything completely flat everywhere. Which sort of makes it messy for the ones who are flying. Um, and then they say dinosaurs, you know, they didn't exist. They, they exist 55, 65 million years ago. We couldn't have recent dinosaurs. Really? How come we have the, the dinosaur cells? How come... Cabrera, Dr. Cabrera in Peru has these rocks that are, several, that are less than 2,000 years old, about 1,600 years old, and they have dinosaurs with humans on them. They're about 14,000. This is Dr. Dennis Swift. He's a pastor in Oregon. He's one of the specialists. It's a triceratops. And they have all kinds of... They have, they have uh, these different, all these different creatures of dinosaurs, stegosaurus, triceratops. You have a T-Rex. You have a, plesios, uh, a pterosaur here. So you have all these, look, someone's riding a triceratops. How could they do this without, they can't do this from fossils. They actually saw these. These are Incas. These are Mayan. They even have parts on it that we don't show. A back fringe. We don't have that. It couldn't be a copy, recent copy because you can't buy one like that in a store because this doesn't, hasn't fossilized. So we, don't, we didn't know they had this. They knew it because they saw it. Ica stones. Now, in 2 Peter 3, 3 to 6, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, people who make fun, and saying, mock people, and, and, and saying that, where is the promise of Jesus' return? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, the ancient, the ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. There's never been a catastrophe. There's never been a flood. There's never been the fall of man. You cannot answer the question of suffering if they don't believe God is. Don't even try. It's a waste of time. They're going to come to you with the question, and you, you have to not answer it. Because you're going to start, have to talk about original sin. They don't believe God is. It's, you're, you, you've lost from point one. You have to get the foundation that God exists, and that he created the world, and that they are part of that creation. And then you have to figure out, you have to tell them which God. After that, we can start talking about the qualities of God and his characters. For this, they are willingly are ignorant that three things. By the word of God, the heavens were of old. That God created the heavens, not the Big Bang. 
The Word of God created the heavens. Secondly, in the last days, which we're in, they're going to deny that everything came out of water. And finally, they're going to deny that the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. They're going to deny the global flood. That is exactly what they are doing. We are in the last days. Peter was a fantastic prophet. Now, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of, we can say this all together, power and of love and of a, a beautiful combination. If you're just power, you're like a dictator. You know what I mean? Just power and you're going to force your beliefs and, and who you are and your character on other people. If you're just love, well, you're going to let anything go, ultimately. <laughs> you're just going to, ah, uh, it's okay. If you have a sound mind, and you're like me, very analytical and Cartesian, well, you're not going to be able to hear really what God's saying in the heart area. But if you can get all three of these and walk in all three of these, you can transform your community. For our gospel, says Paul in First Thessalonians, came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. You see, if I got up here and just showed you, like I just did, why the evolutionary theory was wrong, okay, it's good, you've shown the theory was wrong, but so what? The goal here is not to show that you're right. The goal here is that people will open their hearts to God. I'm here for one reason. I mean, I work. I have a factory we're opening. And why am I doing this this week, taking the whole weekend to do this? For one reason. So that you'll be able to reach your community. So that you'll be able to be successful in reaching the people around you. It's not just with evolution creation, of course. But that's a key factor for reaching the younger generation, for sure. 80% of the people who have accepted the Lord in my meetings are under 30 years old. And for many churches, that's like the unreachable mass. But I, start, I don't talk about the Bible to start with. Let's talk about dinosaurs. Oh, everybody's willing to talk about dinosaurs. What? Dinosaurs live now? Yeah, I can show you. I had an atheist in my office come to me and uh, say, I heard you're, you're a creationist. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not. He said, I'm an evolutionist, a humanist. Uh, and he went through a bunch of is. And he said, but I heard you aren't, and I'd like to have lunch with you. I said, sure. We, so we had a couple of lunches. So when I got these dinosaurs, those cells you saw... We had them here in the church. The pastor was talking about that unique thing at 11 o'clock. So we had the cells here. It's the first time they've ever been in the UK. I brought them with me where people could see the uh, osteocytes. Sorry for the person translating to the blind. <laughs> the bone cells. Um, and so, so I, um, I've just lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So we can, so we're gonna, we can show dinosaurs are alive recently. Okay, so he comes. I bring the microscope into work. And I say, anybody want to take a look? So Patrick Rock comes in, takes a look. He says, that turns paleontology upside down. I didn't say anything about Bible. I'd already talked to him about that before. He's thinking. Things are moving. The Holy Spirit's working. Power. We've got to come in power, not just in words. Joel 2.1. Remember Peter started in Joel? He said, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. I have a sort of weakness for trumpets. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion <laughs> and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh. This is judgment. Cometh, comes, and it is high at hand. 
nigh at hand. It's, it's, it's soon. So what... Now, now, in this case, it was sort of unfortunate in this particular instance because God was actually on the side of the enemy, on the enemy to the Jews because it was a judgment. But what he's saying is someone has to stand up and sound the alarm. We have the responsibility. God's not going to blow the trumpet for you. When the final trumpet sounds, the game's over. So you want to do something before. You, you understand that you only have one life to make a difference. You understand that you're only here now. There's no one to be saved in heaven. There's no one to be prayed for who's sick in heaven. There's no one who needs deliverance in heaven. If you're going to make a difference, it's now. Does that make sense? So God has a plan for us now. And he wants us to stand up and make a difference. And these are my seven points in terms of what I call creation evangelism or any type of evangelism. And we have just a few minutes, and I want to go through them too fast, a little bit quickly. And then I want to give you some opportunity to, to minister to you. But the first thing, if you're going to evangelize, if you're going to talk about Jesus, is prayer. There is no way of getting around prayer. You must be able to not only talk to God, but to hear from God. You have to. And... Now, that doesn't mean you can't walk out without having heard from God or understanding the voice of God. You have to walk out by faith. But somewhere along the way, you have to learn to hear the voice of God and respond to it. Now, you say, I haven't heard the voice of God. That's not true. This room is full of pictures. This room is full of, if we put a TV and we change the channel, you'd see something on it, wouldn't you? God, I've come to learn that God is speaking all the time. We're just hardly ever listening. Now, to listen to God, we might have to turn off CSI. I hate to say this here, but you might even have to turn off the football game. I know that's really, really rough. But God might have something to say that's really important during the football game. Would you like, you know, Jesus comes back. Oh, wait, wait, Jesus. He's about to make a goal. What? <laughs> We've got our, our priorities out. And the Holy Spirit responds to respect. The Holy Spirit responds to the fact that we desire and are thirsty for Him. If you are thirsty for God and you're crying out for God, God will speak. And the next thing you have to do in listening to the Holy Spirit is you have to obey. He's going to say things. I found it out a bit at a time. I just had a feeling. I can't, I just had a feeling. I remember I was walking, I'm telling you these stories not to give any glory to myself whatsoever. It's to, to object lessons so that you can think in your own life and see. You around, we're sensitive people. We have the Spirit of the Lord. It'll give us sensitivity to people around us. I don't know if you've ever been around people. You like, all of a sudden know there's sadness. Or you all of a sudden know there, without them saying anything, or you can like see, or someone looks very dark, or you walk into this store and like, I'm out of here. It doesn't feel good. That is spiritual sensitivity that the Holy Spirit can use to touch other people if you start listening to it and reaching out to other people. Now, the number one thing, the number one thing that's a problem with Christians, I feel, and uh, it's just my, my opinion, is that we're too focused on ourselves. God said he'll give all these things unto you while you're doing his work, while you're responding to people's needs. 
It's not hard in London, England, to find people with needs. That's not like a tough job. Okay? Where are the needs that you can meet? Yes, you have needs. God isn't ignoring it. Yes, we have prayers we can do. Yes, we, God says, ask him, you'll receive. But you want to see the Holy Spirit move? You start going out on faith to meet other people's needs. I'm sure there are people here, if I ask, testify, I'm sure there are people here who would say, I did this, and watch what happened. There was a time when I had no money, as with most people, especially at the end of university. I had no money, and I remember God spoke to me as I was working at a, I helped out a church, and I remember I was going through their parking lot, and the Lord, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, look at that car. And it was wintertime. I looked at the car. Look at the tires. This is a strange thing for God to say. It doesn't sound very spiritual. I look at the tires. The tires are bald. Now, you must know that in Quebec, we get minus 25 to minus 30 temperatures. If you have tires that have no tread, it's like a skating rink. Your car is not going anywhere. It's very dangerous. And so I, I looked at them, and God said, buy the tires. I didn't know who the car belonged to. I went back to the church, and I said, who owns that white, I think it was a temple or something, Ford Temple. I said, who owns that? They said, well, actually, that's Sylvain Gauvreau's. Sylvain was a, is a, was a worship minister. He is. I said, I, Sylvain? I said, set up your mechanic. I'm bringing four tires for you. I didn't have the money for four tires. In fact, I knew that represented a fast of at least three days. That year, many things happened in my life. I never, well, I've given more since, but I mean, in terms of sacrificial giving, I've probably never given more, and I never received more than during that time. I'm telling you, God, when you're trying to reach out to other people and your focus is reaching out to other people, you'll see miracles happen. You'll have those stories that no one else has. You say, why do they always have the stories? Well, because they were busy doing God's work, reaching other people, and then God manifests himself. So I'm asking you to stretch out. Be an example. I'm running out of time. Be an example. Makes sense. I don't think I have to say that very much, right? Our life has to be an example, and sometimes it isn't a very good example <laughs> amongst Christians. Just remember, people are watching you. My neighbor, who I've witnessed to for years, or eight years, he checks and sees if I mow my lawn on Sunday. He checks. Make a link. Now, we're not in a numbers game. We're in a people game. It's not a game. But you understand we're in a relationship. So if you're going to lead something to the Lord, it's all about relationships. The cell groups are supposed to help with that in relationships. But we're not like to, okay, you accept the Lord, and now I'm going to go into the next one. That's not how it works. You have a person that you brought to the Lord, stick with them, help them. In fact, you'll learn a lot in the process. Finally, your time, well, not finally, fifth, your time is God's time, God's time. God is the God of time. When I found out about that, I said, God, since you're the God of time, I want you to compress time in my life so I don't have to wait 40 years till I become a man of God. That really happened. To the point that in 1994, I think March 1994, Jesus walked into one of my conferences, and my ministry totally changed after that. There were so many healings happening in my age of the earth and evolution of man talks that at one point I wondered whether I should change ministries. But God has never released me from that ministry. In the last 
eight months, 11 backs have been healed. Um, just uh, two weeks ago, I was in a Baptist church. This lady had a knee problem. I knew she had a knee problem because of the gift of prophecy or word of knowledge. And I, I just walked over. I said, how would you like us to pray for your knee? She said, yeah, it's in pain. I said, good, okay. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And I said, go walk on those stairs. She walked in the church, came back up, she said, there's no more pain. But I'm not special. I am just a child of God as you are because we do not come in word only, but we come in power. And if you don't have any power in your testimony, you better get on your knees and seek God and ask him, how am I to reach others? Now, finally, our two last things. Start with questions, listen to answers. Unfortunately, normally Christians do the, well, Christians, people proselytize. They do the opposite. I'm going to tell you the answers, but they didn't ask a question. <laughs> what are you answering? <laughs> Jesus is, the, is, is Lord. Yeah, but I didn't ask you. <laughs> so, you understand? You've got to, there's got to be a question. So what I like, even with my evolutionary friends, as you know over the last couple of days, for those who follow, I ask questions all the time. It's your theory. Explain it to me. I'm, I don't understand it. I play an instant. Of course, I do understand it, but I, I play, you, know, you explain it. But that's for evolution creation. If you're talking about more personal things, if they're going through a hard time, don't tell them about all the hard times you've gone through. What's that supposed to help? <laughs> what? They're sharing their heart. You go, yeah, I had the same thing happen. No, spend some time empathizing, saying, yeah, that's really rough. What can I do to help? I'm a Christian. I love people. I love you. What can I do to help? Well, I say organize an event, start a Christian cup. What I'm basically saying here is this, and then we're going to skip one side, go to the final slide, which is this one. First Chronicles 28.10 says, be strong and do it. Just like the pastor said, what, last week he had this sermon, said, stop it and do it. Well, I'm going to modify that a little bit. You can keep the stop it. Be strong and do it. <laughs> we have to get up and move. We have to, because the problem is the flesh doesn't want to. Let me tell you something. My background is Anglican. Anglicans don't do altar calls. They don't even know how to do altar calls. They lead people to the Lord like brethren, person to person if they come to the Lord. And it's high church, high church Anglican. My dad was an Anglican priest. They don't... <laughs> they don't do altar calls, period. <laughs> so, how come I've led so many people to the Lord with altar calls? Very simply. And you know, he was talking about the gifts earlier on. I'll tell you how it worked in my life. I'm a teacher, natural teacher. I mean, it's okay. I, th I think I'm okay. You may not, but some people do. <laughs> so, I, I have an ease in communicating certain concepts. And that's always with me, and I don't have to think or pray about it. It's just, I have it there. But I was at this meeting in the University of Sherbrooke, and after I gave my conference on the age of the earth, um, uh, the pastor evangelist who was there, he gave an, a call for salvation, and two people accepted the Lord in the university. I thought, that was cool. Now, while I was there, I saw a lady that had uh, uh, blonde hair. I remember this. It was one of the first times this happened. And, and God spoke to me and said, you're going to speak to her. I said, really? So afterwards, she came over to the book table, and we ended up speaking, and she had an incurable blood disease for 10 years. And, and we started talking about healing, and she said, well, you know, 
sometime it's going to be God's time. But I had this revelation of God controlling time. So I said, but God's time is now. God is outside. When they say, who created God? That doesn't make any sense. God is not made of matter. He doesn't need a creator. What doesn't matter is eternal. She said, really? I said, yeah, come back. We're going to we'll pray with the pastor. Now, what was funny was that God had spoken to the pastor, a young pastor. He said, you're supposed to pray with that lady. <laughs> and she walked out, and here I come back in with her. I kid you not, in the university auditorium, we weren't alone. We come up. He says, in the name of Jesus, and I'm praying with him, in the name of Jesus, be healed. A wind comes from behind. We, we had the blackboard behind us. A wind comes from behind us, passes us, and everybody in that row goes flat in the back, in the auditorium in the university. She got up. She was healed. She wrote to me two weeks later. She said, it's doctor confirmed. I have no trace of this disease that I've had for 10 years. What was my part in that, aside from aiding and praying? I brought her back. I listened to the Lord. We can have so... I could talk to you for hours on this, because this happens all the time, but I've learned to listen. And, but I didn't know always how to listen, and I've made mistakes. Christians are the only people that expect you to do things 100% right the first time, or you like are judged and put in prison. <laughs> no, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to pray for things and it doesn't work, or cast out something that's not a demon. or You know what I mean? You're going to make mistakes. We don't have a lot of training on this, but just be teachable. Just be teachable so someone who's more senior says, that wasn't the wisest thing to do. <laughs> I was once in a cell group where this, where this poor lady, she's having a rough time at church with the cell leader, sort of young cell leader, said, we're going to cast out a demon of sensitivity. So my, my wife looked and said, there is no such thing. The poor lady, she just needs to be have arms put around her. So anyway, so we have to learn. But then we go to another level, and then we see God move. Now, we're, we're, our time is up, and I have a lot more to say. But what I want to share with you before, and I have to run because I have to get up to Wakefield this evening. Um, so I'm taking a train at 8.30. What I'd like to do, and I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'd, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray two prayers. Yeah, we could have some anointed music. First of all, remember that part says, be an example? It's the same prayer whether you need to accept Jesus for the first time or whether you need to get your life straight. Why don't we, whoever wants to, just close your eyes for a moment between you and God. If you haven't given your life to Jesus... If you haven't said, I want to put my life in Jesus and I want to be forgiven for my sins, and I haven't talked a lot about this and I don't have time, but if you feel you want to do that, I want you to just raise your hand. And if you want to pray and say, I want to rededicate my life, I want to ask forgiveness and get right with Jesus. Actually, don't raise your hands. I want you to come up front. Anybody who says, I want to get right with Jesus, I want to come up front, I want you to just come stand up in front here. I'm going to come off the stage. And just worship quietly. And if you're not coming up front, I expect you to be praying with me. Just everybody come who wants to come up front. Come up now. Come over. If you're coming up for prayer, just come here. And we're going to pray with these people. Is there more people who want to come up? You say, I feel the Lord. I feel the, that I need to come up. Maybe you're too embarrassed, but don't be embarrassed in a church. Hey, thank you. God bless. Come on. 
we're going to take a few minutes. I know it's late, and if you have to leave, you have to leave, and that's fine. But if you can pray with me. Hi, what's your name? What? The honey. Thank you for coming up. How old are you? Eleven. Hey. Anybody else want to come up? We don't have a lot of time, so I've got to pray now. So if you want to come up, whether you give your life to Jesus or you say, I want to get my life straight, just come up now. Just close your eyes. What I want you to do, all those that are in front and everybody in the room can repeat at the same time. I just want you to pray a little prayer and repeat the words that I say. Just say, Jesus, repeat out loud, Jesus, I give you my life. All my life. What's good and what's bad. I put it all at your feet. I ask forgiveness for all my mistakes for all my disobedience and I understand that you went and died for me at the cross and I thank you for that Jesus and I accept your forgiveness in my life thank you Jesus Jesus guide and direct me from this day forth, guide and direct me. Give me your eyes, Jesus, that I'll see like you see. Mm. Give me your heart, the Father's heart, so I'll, I'll feel like you feel. And give me your hands that I'll be able to help people. And finally, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Jesus. Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I speak freedom. loving arms just surround her right now oh my lord my lord I don't hear you praying out there
How does this work? Do you have counselors? Do you have... Okay, people here? Follow him. <laughs> Follow him. He's just going to have a word with you. Thank you for letting us pray. He just has a word, quick word with you. And then thank you for coming out. Oh, you are there? I better pray for you. Healing. All right. Time is flying, but who cares? Pastor Bruce is going to not have anything to preach by the time we're finished here. Wasn't it about the Holy Spirit? Yeah? Well, let's beat them all to it. What do you think? I have to leave, but then he'll come in and he'll wonder, how come everybody's already heard the message I'm about to give? And they're already walking in the gifts of the Spirit. That sounds like a good plan. I'm the only one that likes it, but I like it. <laughs> she needs healing. Maybe there are others. I'm going to invite you to come up after in a moment. Let's pray with her. And then I'll pray for whoever needs prayer. If you all need prayer, if you want, uh, if you want me to pray for you for power in your anointed and in your evangelism power to proclaim the truth I'm not the person who can do anything I am nothing but I serve a God who is the creator of the universe creator of the universe just before I pray for her someone who speaks real English I want someone who speaks real English to take a mic you speak real English sort of. do you have a Bible? get a Bible I want you to read the end of Psalms 8, then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to leave. Who has a... Someone have a Bible? iPod? Something? <laughs> I have an iPod. It has the Bible on it. I want Psalms 8. Somebody, if no one will do it, give me a Psalms 8. I'll read it. 8. I'll read it. You can put up with a Canadian accent for a few more minutes. You're not going to hear it for a long time. I mean, from... Maybe. I don't know what the Lord wants. Has this helped you tonight at all? Yeah? Good. I expect it to make a difference. Otherwise, it didn't help you. <laughs> Be strong and do it. Repeat after me. Be strong and, and do it. Yes, decide. Psalm 8 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. And I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. He says, I'm reading 9. Sorry, I <laughs> just going, that's not what Psalm 8 says. Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Truly we have been visited. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And he says, oh, and it finishes this way, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It talks about the creation that he said. Whose Bible was this? Someone over there. We spent the whole weekend talking about God's creation. Our view of God should have been enlarged. God is bigger than the universe. I think he can solve the problems of a little tiny blue planet and of your heart. Let's pray for this. What's your name? First name? Mary. You want healing. Do you believe Jesus is a healer? Yeah, I do too. All right. 
Jesus is the doctor. Let's pray for Mary. Oh, my Lord. It's just flowing down right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. <sighs> let down on the chair. Or let it write down. In Jesus' name. Just let it down. Or they're just in the verse she said. Oh, my Lord. Jesus. Heal Mary from her head to her feet. Let every cell be renewed. I come against all pain in her body in Jesus' name. Mm. And I thank you, Jesus, that you sent your word. Psalms 103, you sent your word and it healed us of all our diseases. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to, two seconds, I'm going to release everything to the worship leaders. And we'll just, just come down. Whoever wants to be prayed for for anything, I'll need someone to be behind because I don't know why people fall, but they do um, sometimes. And so I just, it just is less spectacular if they don't hit the floor. Uh, <laughs> just come up if you want prayer. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Lawrence, uh, there's a wonderful flow of the Holy Spirit here. So uh, this is where the new service begins. Hey, cool. Flowing from one to the other. So the Holy Spirit's moving. Come forward. The ministry team people, can you please take effect right now and come and help us and join us, ministry team people. Lawrence, continue to flow. No, 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 no. This is you continue to flow. I'm just uh, letting people know. So people coming in for the 6 30, 7 o'clock service, this is it. The old one is not finished, the new one starting. Holy Spirit, continue to move in this house tonight. People of God, open your hearts. Continue to flow in His wonderful presence. Okay, what we're going to have to do, because I really have to get up to Paddington by 8.25, or I'm going to miss my trade, and I'm, we're not far away, but I still have time. I'm not going to be able to give ministry to everybody. We're just going to have to believe Jesus that he's going to give it. I'm going to lay hands on all of you, or whoever wants me to lay hands on them. I'm going to go around, but you need to leave a space between you so that the helpers can be behind them just in case anything happens. Okay? Everybody okay with that? Just leave a space. Everybody will get prayed for. Okay, leave a, leave, like do a line, but leave a space so someone can actually move down. Uh, I need a man to come with us. Okay. Worship, listen to me. I need your attention back. Listen for me. Listen to me. The presence of God is what makes the difference. It's not my hands. It's not Pastor Colin's hands. It's not the church building. It's the presence of God. And right now what I want you to do is just worship God. Worship Him. Give Him all reverence. I'll pray for you. But you worship Him. You tell him, Lord, you are the creator of everything. And I give you all the glory. And you sing with them and just worship them and expect to receive. Everybody agree with that? And in the room, if you're not up here, pray. That's your job. Pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just start worshiping the Lord. Just start saying, thank you, Lord. If you're sick, you can say, Lord, I thank you for healing me today. 
But more importantly, I want to worship your presence. I want to give reverence to your name. Just close your eyes. I don't want you watching me. I just want you to just receive from the Holy Spirit. Now hold on just one second, musicians. Keep just playing a little bit, but actually stop the music for a second. guys are too intense you're supposed to receive here you're broadcasting right now you can there's lots of time to broadcast when you pray here just worship the Lord I don't want you praying here you can pray for them you understand <laughs> but here up here just put your hands out close your eyes and say Jesus I receive Holy Spirit I receive do your works in me tonight just follow what he says in your heart. If he says, Jesus, I love you, say, Jesus, I love you. If he gives you a song, just sing along. But be respectful of the Holy Spirit, please. Please. Holy Spirit, have your way. 